January here at Monticello. I'm standing next to the house, looking out across the west lawn. It's obviously not that lush, green time of year. The trees are bare. Honestly, it's a little bleak now. But there's a lot happening that you don't see. Spring flowers that germinated in the fall are clinging to the soil. Buds are enclosed tightly on trees and shrubs, just waiting for the warmth of spring to come. And the earth is saturated with water, allowing those trees and shrubs to restore water for the hard summer months ahead. This is A Rich Spot of Earth, a podcast about gardening and the natural world. I'm Jason Young, manager and curator of Historic Gardens at Monticello, Thomas Jefferson's home in Albemarle County, Virginia. You're listening to our very first episode of a brand new podcast. Each month, our crew of gardeners, naturalists, and historians are going to share their deep knowledge about everything related to the garden. Rare flowers, heirloom vegetables, native trees, dirt, sun, water. We're going to talk about how we care for the land now and how it was done in Jefferson's day. I'm guessing you know a few facts about Jefferson. Author of the Declaration of Independence, third president of the United States, But did you know that all those years he spent slogging away in politics, he was fantasizing about a different profession? Gardener. This is what he said in 1811, a few years after retiring from public life. I have often thought that if heaven had given me choice of my position and calling, it should have been on a rich spot of earth, well watered, and near a good market for the productions of the garden. No occupation is so delightful to me as the culture of the earth, and no culture comparable to that of the garden. Such a variety of subjects, someone always coming to perfection, the failure of one thing repaired by the success of another. But though an old man, I am but a young gardener. I find that quote from Jefferson to be so moving. It speaks to the hopefulness in the act of planting a seed, the acceptance of failure as part of the process, and the idea that no matter our age, we are always young in the natural world. It can always teach us something new. That quote also gave us the title, A Rich Spot of Earth. It's literally true that Monticello has special rich soil. You'll hear more about that later in the show. Our theme this month is seeds, one of the most elemental building blocks of the garden. Today, most people just go to the store and buy seeds. But back then, gardeners also harvested and saved seeds. It was a critical part of maintaining a garden. Seed saving has become kind of a lost art. Recently, Peggy Cornett, our curator of plants, and Debbie Donnelly, our flower gardener, sat down to talk about how to do it. Here's Debbie laying out the process. We start saving seeds as early as June when some of our early blooming annuals have gone to seed. And then the seed saving continues on through the fall. It's very important to let your seeds mature, which means that you have to 
let them stay out in the garden until they are fully ripe or they won't produce plants. So you usually look for dried seed heads, seeds that the capsules have opened up so that they're ready to disperse on their own. Different plants have different ways of dispersing their seeds. Some seeds tend to blow away. So you may want to wrap your seed heads in a lightweight cloth. Others will stay right on there until you're ready to harvest it. Once harvest is complete, we usually spread them out for several weeks and let them dry. Otherwise, they may tend to mold. And then it's a good idea to clean them so that if there's any insects or things like that on them, you're not saving all of that along with your seed. And once you have them clean and dry. You can package them in plastic bags or bottles, but they need to be stored in a cool, dry place and out of the direct sunlight, ideally. And what Debbie's talking about goes back centuries. And the main thing that we read in many of the early botanical gardening dictionaries is that you need to keep the seed dry. The dampness will really destroy the viability of the seed. So that's more important than anything. And if seeds are stored properly, they should last several years, if not way longer than that. There was actually seed found in the pyramids that did germinate. So that just goes to show if it's stored properly, it can last a very long time. In Jefferson's time, enslaved workers at Monticello harvested seeds and stored them for sowing. We know that Jefferson wanted to have seed beds along the border beds of the vegetable garden. Those areas were kind of protected and plants could be allowed to mature and go to seed there without you know, being endangered of being harvested by mistake. And so seed was stored every year here at Monticello. It was a very important and essential activity of the garden. Some years they were more successful than others. We have many accounts in Jefferson's correspondence where he's trying to regain seed that he had lost for one reason or another. If the weather was bad, if there was an early frost, or if it was just too wet to get the seed to, to mature and store properly. We have that same problem today. Sometimes the weather doesn't cooperate, and sometimes we just screw up. Peggy, didn't we actually lose the tennis ball lettuce seed at one point? Well, that was an interesting story. The tennis ball lettuce seed was first brought to the garden, I believe it was 1982, when then Director of Gardens and Grounds Peter Hatch was able to obtain seed from a national seed storage facility in Fort Collins, Colorado. And at the time, he was able to get one of Jefferson's favorite lettuce varieties called tennis ball lettuce. It sort of looks like a Boston bib lettuce. It's a very pretty light green lettuce, and it was not commercially available at the time. So we were able to obtain just a small amount of seed to grow a, a small crop to get started, but it was deemed to be such a delicious lettuce that all the staff members at Monticello really wanted to taste this famous tennis ball lettuce, and so apparently the first crop was eaten entirely before seed was saved. <laughs> we had to go back to the seed storage facility in Fort Collins and get another packet of seed, but we were successful in saving the seed the following year. And tennis ball lettuce is now available through many heirloom seed companies, but we were the original source for them to start their crops and to 
expand their seed collection. All I can say is it's delicious, so you have to make a certain point of letting it mature and go to seed. And if you let lettuce go to seed, it sends a seed stalk up through the middle of it, and it will look very disheveled, sort of like a wild dandelion plant in your garden. And uh, visitors who come to Monticello are kind of appalled that we're not harvesting this beautiful lettuce. It's because it's more important to allow them to produce seed for the following year. And it is in the same family as the dandelion. It produces a seed that can blow away if you don't harvest it, you know, at the right moment. And I believe Jefferson referred to certain birds as the lettuce birds because the seed is very, the birds really tend to like it a lot. Yeah, it was the goldfinch. Finches, right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember all the goldfinches were fussing at us and I couldn't figure out why. And it was because we were bothering their seed right. um, eating activities. <laughs> Seed saving goes on at a much larger scale than what we do here at Monticello. Peggy mentioned the National Laboratory for Genetic Resource Preservation in Fort Collins, Colorado. There's also the Svalbard Global Seed Vault in Norway. It's built into the side of a mountain down in the permafrost in order to stay cold. More than a million seeds are stored there to preserve genetic diversity. This is especially important for the long-term sustainability of our food systems. In January, here at Monticello, we're packaging seeds to sell, and we'll also start germinating our own plants for the garden. January is a very busy month for us. We, of course, have harvested the seed, and then they're ready to be cleaned and packaged, and then put in the shop for sale, and they're also available online. But You know, we also use the seed for our production, which is very busy in January. You know, each different kind of seed has certain wants and desires. So if you are growing your own seed, it's very important to do a little research and find out what that seed, what kind of conditions it prefers. Some like cold, some like light, some like to be moist, some like heat underneath them, some like stratification in the refrigerator. So it's real important if you want to be successful to know exactly how you should be trying to germinate your seed. And then as seeds start germinating, we pot them up into a little bit larger container. And that's where we start holding back on water. We want them to develop a good, strong root system so you don't want to overwater, but let those roots go down into the soil so they're reaching a little more and that makes for stronger plants. We were lucky to find seeds for Thomas Jefferson's favorite lettuce. And you can buy those seeds in our online shop and try the famous tennis ball lettuce for yourself. Peggy shared a story about some seeds that were even more difficult to track down. There were several flowers that Jefferson grew that have sort of just dropped out of existence as far as the literature about them. There's one that Jefferson called the, the scarlet mallow, and its name is Pentapodes bonicia. And it's very, very unusual. It's not even listed in seed catalogs. I don't even think it's mentioned in garden dictionaries anymore, but it's another tropical annual that Jefferson mentioned one time. He received seed probably from his friend Bernard McMahon in Philadelphia, but we could never find it. We just sort of gave up on it. 
And then a friend of mine, one of these modern day plant explorers and seed hunters down in Texas, his name is Greg Grant. He's in a woman's garden out in the middle of, of the country in South Texas. And he found this plant that he realized was quite unusual. And he asked her what it was. And she said she always called it pentapetes, which is kind of a corruption of the Latin name Pentapedes. <laughs> and he sent me some seed in a letter, in an envelope, just the way Jefferson was sending seeds to people in his day. And he sent me these seeds, just a few. And he told me the story of finding this flower. And he said, at the last sentence, he said, I think Jefferson grew this. And we grew it. And sure enough, it's a beautiful flower. It has kind of a scarlet red flower. It's single, looks like a, a small mallow. And it's also called noon flower because the flowers open in the morning and then they nod at noon, which is, they don't really close up, but they just kind of nod. And Debbie keeps it going for us every year, even though it, it's very delicious to certain little animals like rabbits <laughs> love to eat the, <laughs> eat the plants. And the deer love it as well. <laughs> oh, yes. I forgot. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah but but we, we don't really grow enough seed to package it, do we, Debbie? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. If it's it's a good year and the deer Mm -hmm. haven't eaten it and the rabbits Mm -hmm. haven't eaten it, you know, it's like with most plants, some years are better than others with the amount of seed you get. But we definitely have sold it in the past. So rare that it's hard to find really anywhere else. But we're saving seed for ourselves and we make it available to people and other historic sites. So it's just a kind of a wonderful community of people that are interested in preserving heirloom varieties, they're sustaining these out in the world. Here are a few words from some recent Monticello visitors. Then we'll be right back to talk about work we're doing in the garden right now. Hi, I'm Michelle. And Richard. We're from north of Pittsburgh, and we're here today enjoying Monticello. With with our dog. We are standing looking at the smokehouse dairy that's on the path up to the house and it is a stunning view. Dog, I wanted to say that this is a great place to bring a dog. Yep, has to be unleashed, but he can go everywhere except in the buildings. The grounds are, are wonderful and uh, it is quite, quite the vista. Right now it's January here at Monticello. Clouds are overhead. It's raining quite a bit, maybe snowing a little bit here and there. Small yellow winter aconite are peeking out from the soil, usually blooming here in January or February. That special soil that we talked about, it's Davidson loam, and it's slightly more alkaline than your average soil would be, which means that nutrients are more readily available for the plants to take away from the soil. This allows our garden plants to grow great, and also for the trees to grow tall in stature. We're pulling weeds from the garden beds. These small weed seedlings that germinated in the fall are easy to pull right now, and we're starting to take those out because a stitch in time saves nine. If you can get them out now, all the better. On those nice warm days, we're out fixing trellis systems that we grow peas on, or the bean arbor in the vegetable garden that has that wonderful hyacinth bean growing every summer. We're also edging our beds so they have that crisp look in the spring. I enclose to you some seeds of the Acacia farnesiana, 
the most delicious flowering shrub in the world. That's what Thomas Jefferson wrote in a letter to his son-in-law in 1792. By delicious, he meant the acacia smelled really, really good. The acacia is a genus of 160 species of trees and shrubs native to tropical and subtropical regions of the world. Giraffes love to eat acacia leaves. Jefferson grew acacias in his greenhouse. Here's Peggy and Debbie again. Jefferson's greenhouse, Jefferson called it the South Piazza, and it's a small room that is accessed by doors that go from Jefferson's library into this south-facing glass-sided piazza that was enclosed, and it did have doors that opened onto the South Terrace. We might mention that the doors are not actually doors, but they're triple sash windows that can... Exactly. All all the windows will go up, so it can be just a beautiful place to relax in. The light is incredible in there. That's right. There are triple sash windows that face onto the terrace. And uh, it's quite an an effort to get those up sometimes, isn't it, Debbie? Don't you have to go from the outside when you water? I do. Yep. I open them up every other day. The greenhouse, unfortunately, was not heated. So he wasn't growing a wide selection of greenhouse plants. He once wrote that the sweet acacia was the only plant besides the orange tree that I would take the trouble of nursing in a greenhouse. It gets quite cold in there. In January, the ice forms on the windows inside the greenhouse, but we are able to maintain the acacias and the citrus in there. And it's not normal, but we've had nights that have gotten down into the single digits and the plants have just made it okay. The acacias starting to bloom right now, so it will be in bloom for several months. Its small yellow pom-pom-like blossoms just cover the stems. It's like a cloud of, of yellow. It's just lovely. So why did Jefferson prize acacias? The tree doesn't produce fruit. It has sharp thorns. And if you happen to disturb its roots, it smells awful. But the flowers are so fragrant, and fragrant flowers were so important in Jefferson's day People considered fragrance equally as important as beauty in a garden. In fact, Jefferson once wrote that he desired fragrant or beautiful plants in his garden. He had no time for mere curiosities. And he was referring to plants such as the mignonette and the heliotrope, dianthus. And he would describe the acacia as the most delicious flowering shrub in the world. And when you read descriptions of gardens in Jefferson's time period in the 18th and 19th century, fragrance is one of the key attributes of the garden. Peggy, didn't they refer to the calicanthus as the bubby bush? And that oh, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. in a time with no deodorant, that ladies <laughs> would put the put the blooms <laughs> down into their bodice <laughs> and that scent would come up and mask some of the, yeah. shall we say, not so fragrant odors of... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Debbie's talking about the sweet shrub, which is a native plant. The Latin name is calicanthus, and it has a dark burgundy red flower. And when you crush it, it has a nice fragrance. But, you know, apparently Jefferson himself called it the bubby bush. (laughs) And that was a common thing is to put fragrant flowers, kind of tuck it down in your blouse. (laughs) Now, the mignonette was very popular as a fragrant 
flower. It's a low-growing plant, and uh, the flowers are kind of a greenish yellow. It was native to northern parts of Africa, and it became very popular as a potted plant to mask the odors of city streets. And there are comments in the 17th century in London that the streets were almost oppressive with the scent of mignonette (laughs) because it was just too much of it. Today, we've talked about seed saving, Jefferson's greenhouse, and the acacia tree. But for Jefferson, this was more than just food or a sweet-smelling shrub. In these cold winter months like January, this was a way for him to maintain social ties. He communicated with many people across the world by trading seeds back and forth. Thanks for listening to our new podcast. Join us next month for more on gardening, and the natural world at Monticello.